Welcome to the Mindful Life Podcast. Join me, your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator, as I navigate living my best life with the intention to educate and raise the collective consciousness around the benefits of living a mindful life. Each week via the Mindful Life Podcast, I will bring to you a range of content, including special guests that explore mindfulness, mindset, and mental health. Did you know I recently started a new podcast, Kids Mindfulness Meditations, a podcast for kids. It's helping so many kids to find their calm and to relax. It's free and it's available via Spotify. Welcome to Kids Mindfulness Meditations, a podcast for kids. My name is Marianne Eve. I'm a mental health social worker and I have a special interest in mindfulness. I run a multi-award nominated kids mindfulness group program where I teach children how to self-soothe and self-manage stress via mindfulness education and meditation practice. This podcast is especially for kids, for kids who may be stressed, anxious, highly emotional or kids who are overthinkers or have trouble sleeping. Each episode will be a single recorded downloadable meditation for children aged 5 to 13 years. There will be meditations for sleep and meditations for relaxation. The aim of my podcast is to give children a free, easy to use therapeutic tool to assist them to relax and to find their calm. The Mindful Life podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I thought I'd do another episode today. I got some um, good feedback about my previous episode which I did out of my walk um talking about day one of the Melbourne Metro lockdown. Uh, it was a bit raw. There was some background noises and I was huffing and puffing a little bit. Uh, so I thought I'd take the, the same um, approach today. And uh, while I'm out on my walk here in Melbourne, uh, it's a chilly eight degrees. And we are in day, let me think, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Today's day six of Melbourne Metro lockdown. Uh, it's a Tuesday. So I thought I'd just give you a bit of an update of how I'm feeling, where things are at. But I also wanted to specifically talk about... Um, some things that I've come across in my work, particularly around kids. So I think that's really valid for a lot of people. Um, I work with a lot of families, I work with a lot of kids. And this situation, the pandemic, and of course, being in lockdown uh, is affecting our kids. And that's what I'm seeing, that's what I'm hearing. And it's no surprise. So. As I said in my previous episode, uh, our Premier made a decision to put us back into Stage 3 restrictions, and part of that was extending our school holidays, 
by another week. So the kids were on the winter holidays and um, those holidays were extended another week and then a decision was going to be made um, around whether kids would return to remote learning or whether they would return to school. So Sunday afternoon, the decision was made to uh, return the kids to remote learning, uh, online learning, until at least the 20th of August. So that is the six-week period, or it'll be five weeks when the kids do go back, roughly five weeks. Um, Return the kids, or four weeks actually, return the kids to homeschooling online learning, whatever you want to call it, uh, but they won't be returning to school. So apart from actually the senior students, so year 11 and 12 will be going to school. So that was a bit of a relief for some families and for some kids, uh, as in, I think, most countries in the world, year 11 and 12 are the final years of school uh, and they're obviously really important, really important part of education and particularly for the year 12 students, um, you know, this is a really important and crucial time in their education as they sort of head off into the world as adults. So that was a, a positive decision that was made, but children aged or children from prep to year 10 will be doing their schooling online at home. So it was quite distressing, I think, for families to be given that news again. For many families, it was quite traumatic last time to be homeschooling. And look, I'm in a really fortunate position. I've got a daughter at uni and I've got a daughter doing year 10. Uh, She's doing one year 11 subject, so she does have to go in three times a week for 70 minutes each time, which is a bit of a pain in the butt. Uh, but by and large, my kids can look after their own schooling. I do have to check in with my almost 16-year-old to see how she's travelling, but she's generally pretty self-sufficient. Um, and obviously my uni student daughter is very self-sufficient as well. So in terms of uh, the impact that that has had on me, it's quite minimal, apart from more people being at home, but it's obviously quite stressful for my kids. They would both prefer to be back uh, in at uni and at school. So I've had a number of calls from parents um, around the distress that they're experiencing, around the distress that the kids are experiencing. And what I'm seeing mostly is that kids are very anxious. And of course, parents are anxious. And the reports that I'm getting is that kids aren't sleeping. So that seems to be the biggest issue. Sleep seems to have been disturbed in all of this during the pandemic. And I'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, But, you know, in terms of the anxiety, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing is that kids aren't anxious about getting the virus. The virus is not feeding their anxiety, so to speak. They're really anxious because of change. And I think when we ask we ask kids why they're feeling worried or what's on their mind or what's wrong, often kids can't name it. 
they don't know what's wrong. They just know that things don't feel right. And this can be quite confusing for parents. I've had a number of parents say to me, you know, I'm asking him or her, what's wrong? Are you worried? What are you thinking about? What's happening? Why are you scared? Why don't you want to go to sleep? And these kids cannot answer those questions. They just say, I don't know. So the thing about anxiety is that anxiety is fed by changes to routine. So when our routine is out of whack, when we're not engaging in all our healthy habits, this feeds our anxiety. When we experience a lot of change and things are out of our control, this feeds our anxiety. So that's kind of the bottom line. It's A lot of the time it is about control. People feel safe and secure and less anxious when they feel in control of the situation, when they feel in control of their life. So if we look at this situation, there's a lot of things that we cannot control. There's a lot of things that are changing. There's a lot of uncertainty. So all of those things feed our anxiety. So if we bring that back to kids, they've had so much change in the last, what's it been now? April, May, June, three and a bit months, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of chopping and changing. So it's like just when we figure out the rules again, the rules change. And that's really destabilising for kids. Kids need structure, kids need routine, and kids need predictability. So when all of that is taken away from them, they're really destabilised and they start to feel anxious. They feel like something's not quite right. And an eight-year-old can't say, they just don't have the language or the understanding to say, uh, I feel really worried because my routine has been messed up. I feel really worried because I'm not seeing my friends every day. So it can come out in their behaviour. They can become oppositional. They can withdraw. Uh, it can affect their sleep. I'm going to talk a bit more about sleep later. Um, and, of course, it can just make them feel anxious. So they may say, I'm feeling scared and not know why. So all of us, the entire globe, I keep saying this, and this is the truth, this is the reality. We are living under a collective consciousness of fear and anxiety. So everywhere you look, people are stressed, they are fearful, or they are anxious. There's so much uncertainty for everyone, whether that's around business, whether that's around relationships, whether that's around school, whether that's around their health, um, whether that's around just having their basic needs met. You know, some people may have financial issues and they may be concerned that they're not going to be able to pay their rent or put a meal on their table. So all of the fear and the uncertainty creates anxiety. And, you know, if we want to look at it on an energetic level, and some people may not subscribe to that notion, but I think it's valid that the energy of the globe, the energy of the country, the state, the community, there's a lot of negative 
energy out there. There's a lot of nervous energy, a lot of tense energy that we're all living under. And then add into that the media feeding anxieties, just people in the community feeding anxieties. When you run into someone somewhere, it doesn't happen very often anymore, but if you do, the first thing that you talk about is the virus or the impacts of the virus, how it's affecting you. And then that, of course, feeds your anxiety when you are absorbing other people's stresses. So it stands to reason that kids are feeling that. And coupled with that, and this may not be relevant for everyone, coupled with that, kids will feed off parents' anxiety. So as a parent myself... And a mental health worker, I urge parents out there to try and be mindful of how they are behaving around their kids. And look, I've always said it's important for kids to understand feelings and for us to share how we're feeling with our kids. But I think we need to be mindful in this situation uh, as to whether our anxieties and how we're feeling as to whether we're projecting those onto our kids. So I think we can validate how we're feeling, we can validate how our kids are feeling without building an enormous story around that. So when kids come to you and they may say things like, you know, I really hate this, I want to go back to school, I want to see my friends, it's absolutely fine to say things like, I know, buddy, it's frustrating, I hate it too, and I'm missing my friends And I know this is hard for you, but, and then pull it back around to the positive. That can be hard, I know. Maybe that's about saying to your child, but, you know, we're all getting to spend so much time together and you can still talk to your friends on FaceTime and this isn't going to last forever. And you can even say things like, and we're doing this to keep everyone safe and healthy and well and to protect our health system. Uh, It's just about not feeding that anxiety with your own anxiety, not uh, sharing your worries with your child because fear and anxiety is more contagious than the virus, and I've said that over and over again. We can very easily catch other people's anxieties and they will feed our anxieties. So, as I said, hearing from lots of parents that kids are behaving differently, they're scared at night, some kids are flat, and parents are really distressed by this, and some parents are even a bit puzzled uh, because they feel like, you know, they're providing a stable home environment and they're supporting their child as best they can. None of this is a failure of parents or parenting. As I said, this is a global pandemic. Everyone is affected. And of course, children are going to be affected. Unfortunately, and this is probably going to be hard to hear, this is akin to living through a natural disaster. Now, I lived through Black Saturday, uh, Australia's worst natural disaster. And that was horrendous. And I still live with the effects of that today and so do my children. So this is similar to that but the entire globe is going through it. So it's on a bigger scale. It's in our, in our face every day, all day. 
but you can make choices as to how much it is in your face and how much it is in your children's face as well. So let's talk about how parents can manage some of their children's anxieties. I've, I've gone there a little bit with that, but we'll talk a bit more about that, uh, how you can reassure your children as well. So the most important thing is stability in routines. I hate the term new normal uh, because it kind of diminishes what people are going through. But in a sense, this is, I guess, a new normal, even though there's nothing normal about this situation. Try to find some sort of normalcy in this very crazy, chaotic situation. Put routines in place as best you can. And obviously with homeschooling, that can be a bit tricky, but I think still get up at a specified time every morning and have your routines, even if kids don't have to do their Zoom call in the morning. I think it's probably really important to still get up and have that morning routine. I mean, the temptation is just to stay in bed and laze around, I know, but that is not good for uh, mental health. So get up, have your morning routine. Um, and I think if you can have as many structured activities as you can through the day, of course, with downtime, but structure is really important for kids. Uh, and you might want a whiteboard and put it on a whiteboard uh, what the routines are going to be. Uh, Minimise device use as much as possible, and I'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, and getting kids outside. So I think that would be really important during your day. If we can get outside, just like I am now, through all of this, fresh air, uh, light, and sunshine, when there is some sunshine, and movement are all fantastic for our mental health and our well-being. So getting outside uh, and helping kids connect with friends during the day as part of that routine as well. So routine and structure, and that applies to bedtime as well. Even though, you know, we're not having to get up as early, getting kids to bed at a reasonable time and having those bedtime routines in place are really important. So routine, that's kind of the number one thing and structure. And of course, you don't have to be really strict, but just having, you know, that kind of loose routine or it can be a tight routine if you think that is more helpful. Routine and structure for kids and healthy habits, of course. Uh, sleep. Now, let's talk a bit about sleep. Sleep has been really disturbed for a lot of kids and look, even adults in all of this. Um, when we are living with fear and anxiety, our cortisol levels are increased. Now, cortisol, and I've explained this before in previous podcasts, but I'll just touch on it briefly. Cortisol is the stress hormone and we do need cortisol to get ourselves moving in the morning. So a little bit of cortisol is good. But during the day, our cortisol is starting to drop to get us ready for rest in the evening. Now, people who uh, live with anxiety or are highly stressed, their cortisol levels generally do not drop as much as other people's. And when our cortisol levels are too elevated, we have trouble getting to sleep. Now, it's much more complex than all of that, but I'm just explaining in... Um, 
I guess, at a level that people will understand. So when our cortisol is high, uh, we have trouble getting to sleep. So this is why people who live with anxiety and talk to any anxiety sufferer, and most of them will say that they have trouble with sleep. So then when we don't get enough sleep, we create more cortisol. So you get caught in a bit of a loop. So this is why kids are having trouble sleeping. Um, and this is what parents are reporting to me as well, that, that many of their, uh, many kids are reported, um, reporting not being able to get to sleep and they're feeling quite scared at night. So when your cortisol's up, you will feel anxious. And sometimes well, this has happened to me too. You lie in bed and you just don't even understand why you're feeling anxious, but it's just that raised cortisol level. So kids may be saying to you, I'm scared. Uh, and they may not know why. So, of course, you can go through all those checks with kids, say things like, you're safe, the doors are locked, your mum and dad are here to protect you, there's nothing to be afraid of, give them a nightlight, uh, try and settle them, get them to talk about what they're fearful of, and generally they won't know. They may say they're just scared to be alone, uh, which is very valid because when we feel anxious, often we want people around us. Um, and get them to engage in some calming activities because the goal is to get their cortisol down, to reduce that level of cortisol, to get them into a calm state. So even in the lead up to bedtime, you might want to give them a warm drink, of course not caffeinated, um, give them some oils, you know, some kids like using the roll-on oils. Uh, that are specifically made up with lavender and other calming oils. Uh, well, you might want to burn some oil in a diffuser, put a bit of lavender on their pillow. Um, they might want to have a shower or a bath. That will help them to get into a calm state. Uh, they can listen to something that will help them to feel more relaxed, whether that be um, an app. There's the Calm app. Um, has some great... Uh, sleep stories and meditations for kids. Of course, there's my podcast, Shame of Shameless Plug there. Um, my podcast has lots and lots of kids' meditations and many of them um, are around teaching kids how to deal with their fears and their worries and their big emotions and difficult thoughts. Uh, or they might just want to listen to some calming music. That's something that can lower their cortisol as well. So just getting them into that calm space, you might want to lie with them and get them to focus on their breathing. Teaching children how to breathe mindfully, that is just to focus on their breath, uh, is the simplest way to lower cortisol levels. So my kids' mindfulness program has a big focus on breath work and children very quickly learn that focusing on our breath is uh, our easiest and most available resource to, to assist us to find our calm. So all of those tools and strategies may work, they may not work, you may need to lie with your child, but I think just having that understanding, if we can understand what's happening for our child, uh, or something else I should say to get them to talk. So if there's stuff on their mind, and there may or may not be, get them to talk about that stuff, um, preferably not in bed. 
um, if that can be done before bed, because I guess if you're talking about some big stuff in bed, um, that may get them into a bit of a um, distressed or elevated state. So talking about that stuff throughout the day, even make yourself available to your child to talk about things. And I think it's just about saying, buddy, if there's anything on your mind or anything you want to talk about, mum and dad are here anytime. You can talk to us about anything. And look, in this day and age, most kids know that. And most parents are having those conversations with kids. But accept that there may be nothing on your child's mind. They may just be feeling anxious and they don't know why. Uh, There may not be thoughts driving their anxiety. And, you know, I guess a big part of my work is exploring that and pushing that, that our thoughts affect how we feel. But sometimes with anxiety, a person can just feel anxious and there may not be any thoughts driving that anxiety. It's just, you know, what what they're living through and what's going on. So sleep is a challenge. Uh, It's an ongoing challenge for a number of people I'm working with. I would just urge you to keep at it. There's other things you can do as well um, around, you know, trying to settle your child um, when you're not in the room. So it's just about, which can be difficult, of course, but it's just about perhaps engaging in what I call adult checking behaviour. So often when kids are distressed at night and don't want to go to bed, they get up and we call that checking behaviour. So if your child's doing checking behaviour, many kids do it. Uh, I tell parents to kind of turn the tables and for parents to do the checking. So lay with your child for a couple of minutes uh, at bedtime. Specify how long that's going to be. You know, mum will lie here for 10 minutes and then I need to go because I've got some things to do. But I will come back and check you in X amount of time. So whether that's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And the aim is to lengthen out that checking time. So you're doing the checking, the adult's doing the checking, you're going in and in 30 seconds, minimal conversation, you might give them a little pat, a kiss, a gentle touch, tell them that you love them, try not to engage in too much conversation and then you leave them and they're not to get up between those checks. So that's sort of getting a bit more involved in sort of sleep behavioural stuff. Um, and I can help people more out, out more with that if people want to get in touch with me. Um, but that's, you know, it's a strategy that some children will tolerate and other children will not. And it kind of depends on your style of parenting too. You may not feel comfortable. Some children become distressed during that time between checks. Uh, that distress can be short-lived. So it just depends where you're at and how you're feeling. I guess I'm working with some parents who, um, you know, they're lying with their kids for two or three hours at night. It's affecting their own relationship and it's just not working for people. So I guess it depends where you're at and what you want to do about it. So just thinking what else I can talk about. Perhaps diet's another one. Um, Obviously, what we eat can affect how we feel and and our mental health. So I know a lot of people are reporting that, um, you know, we're eating a lot of junk. Kids have constantly got their heads in the cupboards and the fridge. I think it's really important to highlight that 
even for our mental health, uh, diet is a factor. So when we're having too much sugar, um, it can affect our moods, sort of the ups and the downs. And they do say that high levels of sugar can affect our cortisol production as well. So just watching sugar intake and watching whether kids are eating because they're bored. I mean, I think we all do it, but also kids could be comfort eating as well. So just monitoring that, um, looking at whether kids are having a balanced diet. You know, I'm not going to say to you don't give your kids sugar, uh, but I think you need to balance that out with enough fruit and vegetables and kids eating regularly as well. So set meal times. I know particularly for my teens, they often don't have breakfast and then, you know, things are all out of whack and we're having dinner late at night. So just trying to have those set meal times and just watching what you're eating as well because obviously, you know, your diet can impact your mental health and how you feel. And I think we all feel a bit sluggish when we eat uh, too much junk as well. And, you know, of course, we need to be eating lots of fruit and vegetables for our immunity. Device use was the next thing I was going to talk about, actually. So uh, parents are reporting, and look, it's not just kids, but parents are saying that kids, I think we're all doing it, uh, are using their devices more than ever. There's a lot of boredom, a lot more time at home. There's not a lot to do. So kids are stuck on iPads or phones. Adults are doing it too. Just be aware that excessive device use uh, has been linked to higher levels of stress hormone cortisol as well. And excessive device use affects our melatonin production. Melatonin is the sleep hormone. So we just need to be aware that in these times of lockdown when we are using our devices excessively, that it will affect how we're feeling and it will affect our mental health as well. So just monitoring kids' device use, get them outside. I think that's really important. You can sort of say to them, look, buddy, you've been on your device for an hour, so I want you to go outside for half an hour. Just that balance, I think, is really, really important. Again, I'm not going to tell parents to not allow their kids to be on devices, uh, but just monitoring that device use. And what I'm saying to parents whose kids have sleep issues no device use after dinner. Of course, TV is fine uh, if kids want to watch a bit of TV, but no faces in devices after dinner because kids are needing to get into a calm state before bedtime and that's not going to happen if they're spending, whether it be an hour or half an hour on their device before bed. So just looking at that, uh, and I know it's tough. You're going to face some opposition from kids, but remember you're the parent and you're in charge and kids do need these structures and these boundaries in place. So I think that's really, really important. And look, keeping kids connected, I did mention that a little bit earlier, but keeping kids connected with friends as much as possible, uh, it's really hard these stage three restrictions are so strict. Uh, so, you know, I've just said minimise device use and in the next breath I'm going to be saying to you, get kids to connect with each other over devices. So it's really 
it's a contradiction in many ways, which I know is is really really hard. But we still need to keep kids connected with each other, and use this opportunity to connect as a family. Get out, go on those bike rides, play some board games, do some of those fun things that remind these kids that this world really isn't that scary. Uh, there's lots of fun stuff that can be done while we're in lockdown together. You know, I was speaking to a mum yesterday who, you know, the stuff she was telling me was really quite sad and disturbing, you know, that her poor son had witnessed. It was his first day back at kinder and kinder is considered an early childhood service, so they allowed kinder to go back, but it's still a bit up in the air. It may still go to remote learning later this week, which I'm not sure how, you know, you would teach kids via remote learning for kinder, but I'm sure they've got something fantastic in mind. But this mum was saying that she took her son to kinder and he's not much of a fan anyway. It's been a very disrupted year, so it's been hard to sort of build those attachments and those relationships. But they got there and there was a lady who came out uh, with a mask on and gloves and a gown and a temperature gun. And there was tape all over the ground and they all had to stand in certain spots. And, of course, mum had to stand right at the door um, and the child's temperature was taken and then there was uh, some kinder teachers that he had to walk over to and the kinder teachers were dressed uh, with masks as well. And so it was really quite distressing for this child to get to kinder and see all these people in masks. And mum, poor mum went out to the car and had a cry and wondered if she was doing the right thing, sending her child into this environment. She did call later on and he was absolutely fine and she was reassured by staff that the masks were removed um, once all the parents had done drop-off. So it was really the concern around um, adult to adult transmission um, rather than, you know, kids transmitting the virus because, as you know, kids are very low transmitters and um, kids are very low risk in all of this. So it was really just to protect the staff and to protect the parents, which we can all understand, but it was just so distressing for mum and child to see this and... Yeah, I guess I tell that story because, you know, this is what we're living through. This is what we're living under. And, you know, our government has recently done a backflip here in Victoria, um, encouraging us all to wear masks now that community transmission has increased. So this idea that if we can't maintain 1.5 metres, we do need to wear a mask in public. So that's a change that... It's probably alarming kids. It's alarming for everyone. So I think, again, just reinforcing what I said earlier, it's no surprise the kids are feeling anxious. But we can, in our own little bubble at home, we can nurture them and we can help to alleviate that fear and that anxiety and we can give them some normalcy. We can show them that there's still fun and there's still beautiful, wonderful things in life and things to be grateful for as well. And, you know, back to impermanence. I always go back to impermanence. 
and gratitude, of course, but impermanence teaches us that nothing lasts forever. Everything will pass. So get a calendar, you know, tick off those days. What are we up to? Day six today. So we've got, my maths is terrible, I don't know, 36 days or something left. So tick off those days. I guess the danger in doing that, though, is that the restrictions may not be lifted. So maybe you need to reinforce that as well, that we're ticking off these days, uh, waiting for the news to see what happens next. But just, you know, nurturing your child, being their safe place, keeping everything as normal in this not-so-normal world as possible. And, of course, reach out if you need support um, I'll put in the show notes today, I'll put the telephone number for uh, Parent Line. I used to work for Parent Line, so they're a fantastic resource. They're just a telephone counselling service, uh, parent support line. So I'll put the, the telephone number in for that resource. Um, and of course, there's Kids Helpline as well. And failing that, um, or if you're feeling like you need more support than that, reach out to your GP, get a GP mental health care plan and get along to see someone like myself, a uh, mental health worker, psychologist, someone that can help you um, to support yourself or your child. If for any reason you have found the content of today's podcast triggering or distressing in any way, please consider accessing some professional support. Australian mental health telephone support numbers are listed in the show notes. Are you feeling tired or are you under stress? Are you overloaded or just generally feeling overwhelmed? Well, I'm really excited to share a very special stress reduction tool that I've been using and recommending to my clients for a number of years. Calm is the number one app for meditation, relaxation and sleep. With over 21 million downloads and achieving the Apple App of the Year in 2017, Calm is so perfectly aligned with all that I do as a mental health professional and all that I teach here at the Mindful Life Podcast. It is the perfect stress relief strategy and the perfect mindfulness tool. The app has so many fantastic and easy to use features, including Daily Calm, a brand new 10 minute meditation every day. 100 plus guided meditations covering anxiety, focus, gratitude and so much more. 80 plus sleep stories to settle the mind and relax the body. Exclusive music tracks for focus, relaxation and sleep. Calm Masterclass featuring world-renowned mindfulness experts. My personal favourites include sleep stories and I've recently discovered Calm Music which I have on a continuous loop at my practice, in counselling sessions and in classes. I also love the Calm Masterclass videos, which cover some fantastic topics, including gratitude, happiness and mindful eating. And not to mention all the great features the app now offers for kids, including sleep stories, meditations and lullabies. I'm so very excited to be partnering with Calm to bring you, my listeners, some amazing offers. Calm is so generously offering the Mindful Life podcast listeners a free four-week subscription to the Calm Premium app. All you need to do is head to the following link, calm.com forward slash 
Calm Health Trial. That's calm.com forward slash calm health trial. And just follow the prompts to enjoy your free four-week trial of Calm Premium. You'll be feeling calm, relaxed and at peace in no time. been listening to the mindful life podcast with your host marianne eve mental health social worker and mindfulness educator if you'd like further information or you'd like to connect feel free to make contact via facebook or instagram under the handle mindful life podcast or via email mindfullifepodcast at gmail.com